hi, welcome back to Steps to Freedom. This is our second session. I'm Sharon King and I'm honoured um, to be joined with my co-host Don Hennessy. Hi Don. Hi Sharon, welcome back to everybody. It's good to be here. Good stuff. We're going to go into some more specific areas over the next three sessions. So for this one, um, we're going to focus on the person who is in the relationship. So the person who has not left the relationship yet. So we're going to hear from Don, who's going to give advice on how to recognize if you are in an abusive relationship, um, what you can do about it, how you can escape, uh, how to keep yourself safe. He's going to talk about all his his experience and, and research and advice for you. Before we get into the specifics of it, um, I just want to say a few words about this podcast. So what we're dealing with here is we're focusing on a particular person, um, a male intimate abuser. So this can be in a heterosexual relationship. It could be a boyfriend. Um, it could be a partner, um, a husband. It could be in a same-sex relationship. Um, Fair City actually ran a story in, in the last number of years um, covering this. We're not saying that all men are bad. We're just focusing on a specific type of person. And this, as Don will explain, this type of person um, is particularly evil. I think that would be the words you would use, Don, would it be? <laughs> yeah, that's the word I use. Um, everybody attacks me for it, so we'll change it to malevolent. Okay. Which means even worse, but... Yeah, yeah, but it sounds... It way, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so while you might be in a relationship with someone who annoys you, everybody, you know, whether you live with someone, it could be siblings, parents, um, partner, whatever, you're always going to have disagreements. You're always going to have arguments. Everybody gets on each other's nerves at some stage, whether you might be cranky, you might be tired, you know, your partner mightn't be pulling his weight at home. He mightn't be minding the kids. He might be going to the pub. Um, that doesn't make them an, an abuser. What makes a person an abuser, Don will get into the specifics and the traits of it. So while you might have a bad relationship, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily abusive. Would you say that's right, Dan? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I think from my experience that there are no completely happy relationships um, except people who live in a, a fairyland somewhere. Uh, human beings just actually rub each other up wrong most of the time. And that can be quite normal and quite healthy. And it's one of the reasons why marriage is for life, really, because it may take about 60 or 70 years of a relationship before it becomes very smooth and before all the corners are knocked off it. So that's why we have to stick around for a long time to make it work. But both partners have to make it work together and work with each other to sort it out. And when you're in an abusive relationship, unfortunately, the one partner is carrying the burden of sorting it out. That's it. So in a healthy relationship, is there any such thing as a normal relationship? But you would have give and take, you would have conversations, Absolutely. you would have communications, you would have arguments, you would have anger. Somebody might get angry, you might shout at each other, you might, you know, call each other names in the heat of the moment. But at the end of the day, you'll resolve it. There will yes. be a resolution. You'll sit down when you've calmed down. You'll have a conversation and you'll move on um, until, you know, the next hurdle comes up and you'll deal with that and you deal with it together. But what we're talking about here is not that. Um, no, uh, the, the marriages that we're, Sharon is describing have developed what I call a formula for resolution. So they have their own way of dealing with difficulties. They have their own way 
of getting the relationship back on an even keel. It might take a day, it might take even a week sometimes, but they have their own formula. Um, people say you should read this book or that book or the other book, but every relationship is unique and people can solve their own problems when they work at it together. Exactly, yeah. So it's a give and take um, and it's a joint effort. Yes. And even if it's not a joint effort, sometimes one person might be doing a little bit more than the other. Um, the other person might just be slacking off. That doesn't mean they're, they're an abuser either. It just means that they're, they're not compatible. You know, they're just with the wrong person. And marriages, relationships, they all break down for various reasons. So what we're talking about here is a very, very specific type of person, a male intimate abuser. And the reason we're dealing with male intimate abusers is because that's the area of expertise um, for Don. That's the research Don has done, the books he's written on, and that's the work he's focused yeah, it's, on. It's quite interesting because I'm doing the work for 30 years. And while I've had a, a certain number of men who present to me as being abused, um, I have been unable to locate any female abusers who have at an, any level, undermined the men that are in front of me. So while they are angry or deliberately pissed off with their wives and say their wives are abusive and controlling and everything, at the end of the day, they still think clearly. Whereas every woman that I've met who has been sharing a life with an abuser cannot think for herself by the time they come to me. Their minds are completely... Uh, controlled by his thinking, he has invaded their spirit and that woman it cannot think for herself. That's the main difference, along with the fact that uh, uh, female abusers don't sexually abuse their partners, That I, any of them that I've come across, whereas most male abusers actually sexually abuse their partners either by being too demanding or by being neglectful of their partner's needs. It's the complete opposite. They can either be too much or, or too little. So. Uh, absolutely. As, yeah. as a matter of fact, uh, I'm doing the work for 30 years and it was only in the last seven or eight years that I began to realise what some of my clients meant when they said actually being uh, cajoled or forced into having sex with my partner isn't as bad as being rejected by my partner when I have my own needs. Yeah. And that didn't make any sense to me until about six or seven years ago. Yeah, it's a horrendous situation. Um, so for today, for people listening, um, you might be in a relationship and you might be aware that you're in a relationship with, him, with an abuser. Um, and the problem might be that you don't know how to leave. You feel you can't leave. You're afraid to leave. You might think life outside might be harder than than being in the house. Um on the other side of it, you might be in a relationship where you have feelings of extreme loneliness and fear. Um, you might be suffering or think you're suffering from mental health issues. You might be diagnosed with mental health issues. You might be on medication and you can't figure out why this is happening to you. It might, it might never have happened to you before in your life and you might blame yourself for it. You might blame you know, your upbringing, your family, um, but you know there's something wrong, but you can't pinpoint it and you might not have the language to even explain it. So if you go to your doctor, you can't explain it to them. If you talk to your friends, you can't explain it to them. I, I feel there's two different situations, Dan, do you think? Absolutely. Uh, it is the skill of an abusive man to persuade his partner 
that there's nothing wrong with him and that if, if she has any problems in the relationship or in her life in general, it's to do with her. Yes. So she's either too sensitive or too stupid or too naive or too truthful or too dedicated or she has too high standards or whatever other way it's translated, it will mean that the woman herself believes that she is the problem. And these guys present themselves as being know-alls who are quite entitled to live the way they want to live. So, well, we start at the beginning. So how do these men find their victims? What do they look for? Well, I think I touched on it in the last yeah. session. But I, just to reiterate, because it's something that I, I need to say repeatedly, the, the men have a very specific uh, agenda when they go looking for a partner, for a long-term partner, though they've no problem with short-term partners or one-night stands, as we might call them. But if they're looking for a long-term partner, the first thing they're looking for is a woman who is kind. So everybody who works in the caring professions at any level is a huge target for them. So okay. I've met a lot of nurses and psychotherapists and people of that ilk who have ended up being in abusive relationships and don't believe they are being abused because they're so kind, they still can't put it down to him. They accept it as their problem. You will meet other people who are just brought up to be generous and kind with their time and their love. And most parents would like to think that their children will be like that when they grow up. So it's an expectation of young girls to be thoughtful in terms of other people's needs. And that's the first uh, qualification that these girls need to have if they're going to be in a relationship with an abusive man. The second thing is that they need to be loyal. And there is a distinction, in my head anyway, between girls who gossip about people and girls who don't say anything bad about people. And there are two kinds of girls yeah, and there are. <laughs> they're very clearly identified when you're in company. You can hear some people taking the legs off somebody else mm -hmm. and you can hear another person not saying anything or not agreeing. So loyalty and kindness are the two primary attributes of women who end up being abused. And also they must be truthful. And all my clients find it very difficult to tell a lie. And the biggest lie that they do tell is that they tell me that the situation is not good, but they won't tell me how bad it is. So their truthfulness and their loyalty actually clash and their ability to relate the horror that they're living in diminishes so that they don't tell anybody the real truth. And sometimes I've worked with women for 10 and more years and it's only then I begin to get the real truth and that is a tribute to these people these women who actually will not castigate their partners you will meet people who are recommending the family law system to protect these women and unfortunately both partners lie to the family lawyers the abuser isn't able to tell the truth about himself, so he lies all the time. And the abused woman will only tell a part of the truth. 
and that is a huge difference when you encounter men who claim to be abused because they will, on the first day and on the first occasion I meet them, tell me exactly how bad they're being abused and they will come with all guns blazing about what a bitch she is and how bad she is. So there's a huge distinction in terms of the victims, if you like, and how they present themselves to the world. So it is really quite easy for me to identify a woman who's being abused, even though when she's sitting in front of me, she says, Don, I'm not really an abused woman. I'm not like the women who go to refuge who are battered every Saturday night. Yeah. That never happens to me. I don't suffer from that kind of abuse. So I don't think I'm an abused woman. And yet her head has been so contaminated by his thoughts that she is unable to think for herself. Well, that's a very, very important point you've made there in that he doesn't have to raise a fist to abuse you. Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, the number of people that I have met who are never assaulted or can't remember being assaulted, it's certainly more than half the women that I work with. Okay. They, they have never been physically assaulted. They've never been punched or kicked or bruised in any way. They've never been strangled in any way. But they have been given a very clear message that if they resist the demands that have yeah. been put on them, they could get all of that in the one go. Yeah. Quite substantial. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But they they, they don't know how they get the message because, but they know the truth and they know the conditions that might apply if they stand up for themselves. There's a subliminal kind of conditioning that that from the first moment they meet um, these people. Um, I always see, you know, um, if there's the media representation around domestic abuse, if it's if it's in um, soap operas, if it's in films, if it's in even advertisements, you know, to seek help um, or report, mm-hmm. there's always an element of physical abuse. You yes. It always kind of cuts to the, the bedroom door closing or the kitchen mm-hmm. door closing and then you hear the screams and the smashing and everything. But that's that's actually not the reality of the it, whole it, it's situation. It's not the reality for more than half the people who are being abused tonight. It's not their reality at all. They've never experienced it, but they are as equally abused as the woman who is physically assaulted. And when I started this work first, I visited some of the refuges where the women were there as clients. And I asked these women, why are you here? And I expected to hear exactly about the bruises and the black eyes and the broken bones. And more than 90% of the women that I met said to me, Don, the reason why I'm in here is to escape the mental torture. That yeah. that was more difficult to cope with than any physical bruise or any broken bone. Yeah. The, the, the mind games that are going on permanently in their lives were more difficult to cope with. Yeah, the stress of that has a, has a massive impact on both physical and mental well-being yeah so how do these guys how do they manifest this in the relationship how do they you know you're saying there that it's a kind of subliminal well i said Mm -hmm. subliminal i'm sorry Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's you know um they find their target um they start dating and then how do they put this across well the the first thing that they do is that they actually find out how the woman thinks. 
Okay. What's going on inside in her head? What's her inner life like? Now, they find that out because the woman tells them. Yeah. Because if you're interested in having an intimate relationship, you will begin with intimate revelations about yourself. You'll begin to talk about yourself in a very open way. Yeah. You won't tell them all your life secrets the first night, but you can be certain within a few months you'll have told this man things about yourself that you would never have told anybody else, and that develops. So he learns very clearly and very quickly how the woman thinks. And once he has achieved that information, he can then begin to introduce a, what I call the setup of her thinking process. So she gets repeated messages about the fact that he knows better than her about even tiny things. So if it's about something to do with the two of them or it's, if it's about something to do with the rest of the world, he begins to present himself as being more intelligent, more in tune with the world than she is. And it is probably a reflection of how we rear our daughters is a lot of young girls grow up believing that. And certainly going back a hundred years, every woman believed that, that all that men were always oh, yeah, much more educated yeah. and superior, <laughs> right? So it, it, it isn't gone away. Uh, no. it, it's, it's just hidden. It's filtering out. It's not gone away, but it's, it's slowly. It, it, it's not filtering out with the men. It's filtering out with the women, yes, which is brilliant. Yes, which yeah, is the brilliant. men are still there, but the women the, are the, waking the, up. They're, yeah. they're, <laughs> they, there are guys, and I, I don't know who's listening now, so if the children are listening, just turn it on a bit. There are guys that we call assholes, right? And there's always going to be assholes. Oh, that, yeah. Right. So the, the, we can't change that part of the world. But what we can do is get young women to identify these people quicker. Yes. Right. Yeah. And they see them coming, then they won't hang around. But these guys are skilled and they hide their real intentions. So one of the most insulting things that you can say about these men is that they actually wave red flags. I see lots of women's books and literature. Oh, yeah, about, it's about it's these popular men. culture, red, red flags, yeah. We as men aren't that feckin' stupid. <laughs> we will not wave red flags. We will not indicate to the woman what we're really at. So while everybody else says, why didn't she see it coming? Or worse than that, I hear women every week of the year saying to me, you know, she should have seen that a mile off. I wouldn't let myself into that position. Yeah. Rubbish. But you're not in that position, so you Rubbish. can't say, yeah, yeah. No, you don't know. Yeah. Because the the question and the answer is both with the guy. Mm-hmm. It's not with how the woman perceives the guy. It's his ability to hide himself and hide his reality from the world and from her. Yeah. And I presume he'll mould that to every specific situation. So he might deal with one person one woman one way but then he'll meet another woman and he'll deal with her in a different way so absolutely um i I think if you look back over the clients that i work with most of their partners were not in their first relationship while most of the women may have had another relationship but they didn't have a series of them some of the men have had a series of short-term relationships where they honed their skills and where they practiced their agenda and where eventually they became quite good at it. Yeah. So with each relationship, they learn. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So until they get to a very dangerous level. 
yeah. at some stage if, well, they if they're allowed very, to get very, that far. Yeah. They become very, very skilled. Yeah. And uh, it, one of the sad things is that a lot of, uh, I suppose, the reaction from the general public is that uh, we see men who are not skilled and they set up a relationship within a couple of weeks. It is very obvious to the whole world that they're abusers. And then people think, well, that's what happens. And people think that, well, the woman should be alert to that. And as soon as it happens, she should pack her bags and run. Most of the skilled abusers will not allow anything abusive to happen until the woman takes the blame for it. Yeah. So she says to herself, if I only had kept my mouth shut or if I had given him the proper dinner or if I hadn't said something to him when he came in from the pub, then I wouldn't have been abused. Yeah. And so she takes it upon herself that it's her fault rather than his. Exactly. And at times they become dependent on their partners as well. Well, it's inevitable. Yeah. When, and especially when there are children involved, uh, you want to build a family. So one of the lovely things about abused women that I have discovered gradually over the years is how dedicated they are to their families. And they will go through hell yeah. to try and work with everybody to make their family a happy, healthy place. Yeah. And that's the trap, really. If you have children with an abusive man, you're even in more of a trap. Yeah, yeah. You you have to um, have contact with them, unfortunately. Well, the contact goes on until the children are very old. But yes, but it, it, to make the first step even is extremely difficult if you're in that relationship yeah. because what it actually entails is for a woman to do something that she hasn't done ever in her life before, which is to put herself first. Yeah. And most of my clients, when I say that to them, they say, oh, Don, I couldn't do that. That's selfish or that's a sin. Yeah. Um, because, you know... They're good people. They yeah, don't yeah, think, yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We don't do that kind of thing. And I say to them, your family is in a crisis. And when you're taking off on an airplane, going off on your foreign holidays, the cabin crew will tell you that if there's a crisis on this plane, you put on your own oxygen mask first. Okay. And only when you're thinking clearly can you be of help to the family. Yeah. And while the woman is being bombarded with his agenda, she cannot think clearly at any stage. No. The other issue with trying to leave a relationship as well is this, um, and it's been around for a long, long time, is um, portraying the woman as being crazy. So the woman might think, well, if I try and leave this man now, he's going to portray me as being mentally ill, crazy. I'm going to lose my children. He's going to take my children from me. Mm -hmm. well, I can't leave or else I'm going to lose my children and my children are my world. Well, you see, it's really sad, but it's a possibility. Yeah. Even in this day and age. Yeah that the professional services will actually believe him. And once that happens, he's liable to get away with anything. And I have several clients who have no access to their children. That's so sad. And it's because he has managed to manipulate the legal system and the social system to such an extent that they go along with him. And that's still happening today in spite of all our education, in spite yeah. of all our brilliant thinkers in this area. 
they get conned by these men. That's it. And a woman will go to a doctor and she'll feel something is wrong. She'll feel like she's going mad. She'll feel, Mm -hmm. you know, she's depressed. She's crying all the time. She's crying day and night. Years ago, she would have been put in a psychiatric facility. And um, so if you have a lady, okay, so say we have a lady sitting at home. She's crying all the time. She feels frustrated. She's angry. Her husband is berating her because she's angry. Um, why are you so, you're the one that's abusing me. Uh, you're shouting at me all the time. She's, she's pulling her hair out. She's, you know, she's, she's she can't told, think straight. She's, she's losing she, her language. She's been told that she's the controller in the relationship. Yeah, yeah. She's trying to control everything. But if I she mean. goes, so he's obviously going to say, you need help. You need to go to a doctor. I can't help you. You need to go to a psychologist. You need help. I can't help you. So if she goes to the doctor, how does she speak to that doctor? How does she know that it's not her. How does she know that she's not the one with the problem? But can can she know that? Is it is it well, possible? She may, she may or she may not know that, but it's unlikely that most GPs in the country would know that. Yeah. So, so how does they're so busy? She they needs immediately the language. Give her some yeah. tablets and immediately That's tell it. her that yeah. medication. It could be the menopause, or it could be whatever else. Depression. Whatever. Yeah. They have they have all sorts of labels for it. And it, it, it becomes a woman's problem. Yeah. Now, it is inevitable that the services see it as a woman's problem because it's the woman goes for help. Yeah. But sadly, they all give her the wrong help. Yeah. Right? What a woman needs, and I'm very clear about this, what a woman needs is to be left alone. If she was left alone, if she could wake up tomorrow and never be abused again. Space, yeah. She would solve her own problems in her own time and in a way that works for her rather than have all the solutions supplied by other people which don't work for her. Yeah. But the essential thing is that this woman's head needs to be protected yeah. so that she can clear the shit out of it. Yes, the right. space to, to yeah. re... Yeah. So if if she can be protected, if she can no longer be abused, then she will solve her own problems. Yeah. Right? And she will do them in a in a really elegant way as far as her life is concerned. Okay. It mightn't be my way, it mightn't be your way, Sharon, but she will do it in her own way. Right? Okay. Yeah. And that's what we need to do first of all, is we need to acknowledge and respect the strength of every abused woman who has slept with evil for 10 or 15 or more years and is still sane because that's amazing strength. Yeah. They might think they're not sane, but they really, really are. It's the stress. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Absolutely. stress that's, that's, and stress can manifest itself in a similar way to mental illness or something. You oh, can, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, you say that the best way for women to recover from this is to be left alone, to be just on their own. Now, these hope, women hope, are hope, on their own. Yeah. Hope, so hope, how, hope, how hope, do they hope. achieve? How do they get to that point where they can just listen to themselves and find themselves I, I again? So what needs to happen is that a kind of an emotional barrier needs to be built around the woman. And when that's achieved, she can then work with her own emotions to deal with whatever comes up in her life. 
Okay. So for the women that are out there who need to um to find themselves again, they need to okay, they need help, obviously. They need to talk to someone like yourself or women's aid or or the various um organizations that are out there to help, but they also need to sit with themselves. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, they talk to the Mary who was twenty years younger or the yeah. Mary that was there before they met the abuser, that they become that person again. Yeah. The the only thing that will change is that they will be much wiser this time round. Yeah. The sad part of it is that part of my experience is that some women don't ever recover their mental strength. That even though they may eventually escape or whatever the way you want to interpret the the leaving of the relationship that 10 years later they're still carrying the burden of it okay. and they're still talking like as if they were in relationship as one woman told me one day she was in a hardware shop seven years after not seeing her man seven years after not living with him ever again and she was in a shop to buy paint for the hallway because she was going to do up the hallway mm-hmm. and she picked up a tin of paint and her first remark to herself was he wouldn't like that colour Oh, my God. And she put it back down again. Oh, still in Seven her head, years, unfortunately. Still in her head. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah. They yeah. carry them around all day, every day, having conversations with them. Uh, certainly when they're living with them, their heads are completely invaded. Yeah. That's why I call my first book uh, How He Gets Into Her Head. Yeah. Because that's where he is. And uh, these monologues go on where the woman is talking to him in her head, yeah. even though he's not around. Yeah. <laughs> she, she goes into spa to buy something for the dinner and she picks up the oranges because they're good for children and she thinks that she, and then she realises if I bring home those oranges he'll tell me it's a waste of money yeah. and she puts the oranges back down Yeah. so he doesn't have to be there she has all the messages in her head he's done his training he's absolutely. done his brainwashing absolutely yeah yeah absolutely. and um, okay let's go back to this lovely lady who's sitting at home and she thinks she's going crazy but say she has an inkling that She's starting to become aware that maybe it is my relationship, mm-hmm. but she doesn't have the language um, right. to explain it because there's no physical abuse. So we have words like um, gaslighting or, you know, stonewalling, the silent treatment, um, all these things. Can you give advice to, say, a woman who's... I, actually, the word that I think is most apt in these positions is that the woman is blamed. Okay that if she is held responsible for the difficulties in the family, then that is the That's where the confusion comes. That's where the confusion comes. And that's where, uh, I suppose, the extension of all the other tactics and behaviours are all a smokescreen to hide the fact that he blames her for everything. Okay. Right? So she can go in and talk about stonewalling or gaslighting or, or that he's a narcissist but it actually doesn't get to the reality of what she's living with. Okay. Because the reality is that she is carrying the responsibility and the blame for everything in the family. Everything on her shoulders. Yes. She's responsible for doing everything while he walks out the door every morning and comes yes. home. But everything is left to her to sort out. Yes. But she gets no credit for it. Oh, she gets criticism for it. Yes. Yeah. Because no matter how she goes about it, it's never it's done right. Yeah. 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 I mentioned gaslighting and stonewalling there. Um, could you explain briefly what gaslighting is for someone? Gaslighting to me is the ability of the man to get the woman to mistrust her own memory. So he moves things around, he hides her keys, 
he persuades her that she didn't do something that she knows very well she did or that she didn't say what she knows she said or whatever and she begins to question her own memory and that's a very powerful trait because as i mentioned being unsure of our memory leaves us quite scary. vulnerable so for a woman in her 30s or 40s or 50s to have that experience is really scary. Yeah, to be told she knows something, but then she's been told that, no, no, that's not right. That's so, not what happens, And no. he might have done something and then two seconds later he said, but I didn't do it. And she'd be like, but you did do it. I just saw you do it. No, 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 you didn't see that. No, no, she no, didn't No, that's not what happened. No, no, yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So that can so be that, that's frightening. Quite, and it's quite a powerful tactic. Yeah, it's the crazy making, as they say, absolutely. isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And then stonewalling in a relationship. What impact does that have on a person? What is it, first of all, and what, what impact does well, it have well, on sto- someone? Stonewalling is not reacting like a human being would react. Okay. So e- even when it's something trivial, like, you know, did you know that Johnny's dog died yesterday? And the man says, ah, that bloody dog. Yeah. Right? But worse than that, the man says nothing. Okay. Right? And then the woman develops certain other emotional information or things that she think are important to the two of them. And she tells her partner, you know, uh, my sister's after getting a diagnosis, which is serious, and uh, she have to have a lot of treatment and all of that. And he doesn't answer. Okay. Right? Yeah. Stonewalling is the most destructive single element of a relationship yeah and it's when the person doesn't hear or pretends they don't hear or sometimes even hears and then condemns the message as being rubbish so you're diminishing your partner really you're you're not well well, you're diminishing her inner world because you're saying it's stupid to even talk about it not to mind to feel it yeah so there's, um, as I see it, there might be two different types of, there's passive aggressive and the aggressive. Mm-hmm. So you'll have a passive aggressive person who hides his aggression. Yes. Um, and he takes it out in different ways, mm-hmm. like um, obstruction, awkwardness, stubbornness, sulking, um, silent treatment, as we yes. said there. Um, and then you have the aggressor who is um, loud, obnoxious, you know, he'll walk into the house and you'll know he's there. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll be walking on eggshells around him the whole time. That's right. He's intimidating. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So he's he's intimidated. Then you have the passive aggressive person where you're walking on eggshells, but in a different way because you don't know why you're walking on eggshells. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you think there must be definitely something wrong with me because I can't explain it to myself. Even. Yeah, That's and I can't tell anyone talks. that he's doing anything wrong no, because no. Um, it's not visual. Yeah, it's not, I can't, yeah, I can't yeah, identify yeah. it. Yeah. So you have yeah. two different, so if you're in a relationship and you have a guy who's, being outwardly aggressive okay that's that's easy to recognize you yes. know and that's easy to explain but if you're in a relationship with a passive aggressive person it's it's a different type it's it's harder to figure out for yourself it's harder to explain to other people because he's not shouting at you yeah. he's not pushing you against walls he's mm-hmm. not you know he might be calling you names but you know they're they're very very tiny little things i had a client recently describe it really brilliantly to me she says her mother and father visited and while they were in the room with her, he was so polite. He was just what a gentleman, she yeah. said. And they hadn't turned the key in the ignition to leave before he turned around. He says, you're a stupid cunt. Well, right? but is that not the aggressor then? No, that's the passive aggressive because 
he does it in a way that nobody notices it. Yeah. And if she went out to her mum and dad and said, you know what he said to me after Oh, yeah, leaving, they wouldn't believe her. They'd no. be like, what are you on about? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Actually, he was lovely. You must so, have done something very bad. Yeah, what to, did you do while yeah, we were what gone? What you say like, we're only we were gone or whatever, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and she'd be criticised for it. Okay. But, uh, yeah, there's other ways of being passive-aggressive as well. Like, it is... One of the most alarming things that I discovered was that these guys can actually appear to be helpful. Yeah. So sit down there now, love, and I'll make the dinner. Yeah. And then there's a long tirade then about how bad she is at making the dinner and how good he is and I, I can't be eating the stuff that you put up in front of me, so I'll do it myself and all that. And by the end of the, the meal and the whole thing, she's even feeling worse about herself, whereas everybody else would tell her, oh, my God, Mary... Aren't you he so lucky? He makes your dinner for you, my gee, that's wonderful altogether, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, or maybe he'll say he is going to make the dinner, but then three hours later you're still waiting for it. Oh, uh, no, Because he forgot to go to the shop and, oh God, I, I had all the intentions of doing that now, but I forgot to get this and yeah, I forgot yeah, to yeah. get that. You remind me of some of my children now, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Dad. <laughs> so, um, a lot of these guys as well, they like to play the victim, don't they? One of the essential first things for any abuser is to establish pity in the relationship. She has to feel sorry for him about something. Yeah. Now, it may be that he presents his childhood as being very damaging and that he's not able to communicate and he needs a love, not a love and care and protection because he didn't get it from his mother who never yeah. hugged him or whatever other rubbish he comes and up with. And that could be true, yeah. <laughs> that, that doesn't give him any reason to control it. It doesn't, him. but no. it could be true, yeah. Oh, yeah, well. <laughs> he could have been a neglected um, child, but that doesn't give him the right no, to, no, to pass it on. Yeah. Absolutely. As a matter of fact... One of the travelling community, one young fellow came to one of my trainings way back when, and he said to me, the only thing, Don, he said, I want to do in life is never behave to a woman the way my father treated my mother. That's a good person who learned, yeah. Now, where he learned it from, I don't know, but <laughs> I have a feeling that we all have that kind of a conscience. Yeah. And we all can make up our own minds. And this man, even though he was bombarded every day with a different message, yeah. He still knew it was wrong and he still had decided as a man he yeah. wouldn't continue it. I don't think any family is perfect. I don't think any parent is perfect. But you're going to go one or two ways. You're going to go the right way or the wrong way. So you can have two people who come out of the same family. Yes. And one person might turn out to be an abuser, but the other person might turn out to be, you know, the the compassionate one. It, it, it is amazing because it's probably one of the saddest things I experienced when I started this work was that every piece of literature that I read told abused women that their sons would continue the abuse in the next relationship. Oh, that that's no. where it came from and that it almost put the responsibility on the woman to stop the cycle of abuse and this intergenerational progress. I feel that, yeah. <laughs> but you can be absolutely certain that there are men who grow up in the most benign and loving relationships and they end up being abusers. Yeah. And you have men who come from horrific upbringings. And they grow up to be wonderful. They yeah. grow up to be genuine, decent people. Yeah. So it has nothing to do with actually how the person is I think it has nothing to do with it at all the essence of the abusive man is that when he 
goes through puberty, he gradually becomes convinced that he is entitled to have somebody in his life who will meet his sexual needs. Okay. So these people are entitled people. They believe that they're entitled to um, be cared for, be protected, be... Essentially, you become their slave. Well, two things. You become their mother and their slave Ah, because you have to know where the socks are in the morning. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, So you have to have everything on spot on and then you have to stop trying to turn them into men. Yeah. Because... That's where most women, in my experience, get trapped. They use a huge amount of their energy and a huge amount of their kindness and decency into trying to make these men grow up. Trying to change them. Yes. Trying to get them to take responsibility for their own behaviours. And it's a waste of time. Yeah. They soak it all up and they pretend but they're not taking any of it on board. Oh, no, you can be saying it every week to them and it just runs off them. As a matter of fact, it's even worse because when women actually try in a kind of an energetic way to educate these men, they get into trouble. Yeah. They get criticised for it and they get drawn into arguments which could go on for hours. And then they're blamed. They're blamed for it all. Yeah, yeah, that was their fault. Yeah, yeah. You have emotional problems. There's something wrong with you. You need to get help for yourself. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. Okay, so if you're the woman sitting at home and you're might or may or may not be obvious to you that you're you're in an abusive relationship and you don't know how to get out of it and you might need help in that scenario. If you're the other woman and you're with a passive aggressive um partner, and this is the I think the problem with the passive aggressive, if you have an aggressor, you can see the aggression, mm-hmm. you you, you have the fear it, and all yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So with the passive aggressive person, just some traits Okay, so if you're sitting at home, you feel like your relationship, there's something wrong with it, but you can't figure it out because he's not doing anything. He's not shouting at you. He's not giving out to you. He's not showing any anger. But you you feel lonely. Like you're in a relationship. You shouldn't feel lonely. You're living with someone. You have a partner in life, but you're absolutely dying of loneliness. You've isolated yourself. You've lost contact with friends and family. You might have lost your job. You might be at home all the time um, crying, just there um, some of the traits of the passive aggressive um, partner and you can see see if you agree with me here um, so he plays the victim he's negative about everything so you know like um, they go out to a restaurant and you know she wants to enjoy herself and everything but he's like oh god the service is terrible oh god the food yeah. is awful oh god I don't like that drink oh we can't eat here I don't like that food or oh yeah yeah we, we'll go out for dinner where would you like to go Um say Mary and she'll go oh god I'd love to go um, oh thanks a million we're going out for dinner I'd love to go to Chinese oh no no I don't like Chinese mm-hmm. pick something else okay okay let's go for Indian no no I don't like Indian pick somewhere else okay well let's go to the um, the restaurant down in the corner oh no I don't like there the woman gets frustrated and she's like well why well you pick something then you know and then he's like god I'm bringing you out for dinner and now you're you're, you're getting you're, mad you're at me upset, what's yeah. wrong with you Yeah. so that's the negative and then he's in denial because you're angry with him mm-hmm. and he's like why I didn't do anything wrong I'm bringing you out for dinner you're so ungrateful but like, I've named all the places I'd like to go and you're telling me that I can't, we can't go there because you don't like it but that's not my problem I'm bringing you out for dinner so you know you're the one that's causing an argument yeah. here so he's I'm, in denial I'm doing my very very best and you're criticising me Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And he said, well, listen, now, we won't go for dinner tonight now because we can't decide. We'll go for dinner tomorrow night. So he's procrastinating. He's mm-hmm. a procrastinator. So, you know, he's gotten out of it. He didn't mm-hmm. want to go for dinner. Yeah. And then 
you know, she'll be sitting there waiting for the dinner invitation. So, you know, he said it's going to be tomorrow night. So she'll roll around tomorrow and she'll be like, oh, we're going for dinner tonight. But she doesn't say to him because she's afraid of upsetting him. And then the next day comes and she's still waiting for the dinner. And then the next day comes and, you know, he's, um, she'll say to him eventually and he'd be like, oh, jeez, I forgot. Oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I forgot. Mm -hmm. Listen, I'll book it for tomorrow night. Mm -hmm. So tomorrow comes and... She's there going, oh, great, we're going out for dinner tonight now. I wonder where we're going. And he's told her it's going to be a surprise now and everything. And then she's waiting and then, you know, it gets to 8 o'clock and there's no... No move. Yeah, so she goes to bed and then the next day she wakes up and she's like, I thought we were going for dinner last night. Oh my God, I forgot again. I'm so sorry, I forgot. And then this will go on for a little while and eventually he'll get angry and he'll be like, well, God, where am I supposed to get the time? I'm working all the time. Where am I supposed to get the time to organise? Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going into a, a whole big story here for for somebody who might be sitting at home, you know, living in this kind of situation to see if it resonates with them. You're right, Sharon, because not that he forgets, but that he actually demands sympathy for forgetting. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's all right, love. You forgot that's yeah, yeah, Sure, yeah, organise yeah, it for the next yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. So you're doing your best now. God love you. And, and you're working and you're hard. Tried and you're working hard and all that. What is extraordinary about that scenario is that every move is deliberate. Since the first time they were going out the door together and he began the criticism, it's all deliberate. It's all leading to, as you say, to her eventually. Not alone does she forgive him, but she feels sorry for him as well. Yeah. And that's an extraordinarily powerful thing to achieve in a relationship if you can feel sorry for your partner. Gee, he can do anything to you then and you'll dismiss it you'll say God love him and sure like he can't think or he's under too much pressure or you know he he's doing his best or whatever you want to say to him but the extraordinary thing is about uh, going for meals or anywhere like that is that with one sentence he can ruin the whole event yeah right so you're just going out the door to visit your in-laws or his your own mum and dad or you're going to First Communion or you're going anywhere and he can say to you your hair is terrible or I don't like that dress Yeah. and your confidence just collapses and you're out then in the public domain for the four or five hours and you can't recover you're just going around agreeing with him because you can't challenge him you want to say things that you would normally say but you can't because you are so so undermined by his one small remark. That's it. And then you might portray yourself in public to be grumpy and... Oh, you can't, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's you're you upset. the face. Yeah, yeah. Whereas he's going around happy and chatting oh, with everyone. He's geez. the life and soul of the party and you're there, the miserable, like, oh, what what the hell is wrong with her? Oh, she's in a mood again now. Absolutely. Like, and Absolutely. yeah, yeah. And he'll leave it to the last minute where you don't have time to go and correct to change your dress or no, to change your hair. No, right? you it's as you're walking you out the door. So. What, right, what he's criticising... Uh, but you will be convinced that, well, not convinced, but you will begin to think maybe he's right. Yeah. Maybe this Confident. red dress doesn't do me justice because I don't know how many dresses you have, Sharon, but oh, most of the dresses that I see people putting on, there's always some little thing wrong with them. You know what I mean? Does it suit me in the front or the back or yeah. is it too low or is it too high or whatever? So there's always a question about it. Yeah, and women question themselves. They do all the time, yeah, yeah. yeah. Even outside of men where yeah, yeah. the magazines and television and everything, we we go through a hard time with our images. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And Absolutely. that's 
that's so he just plays on that yeah. and just drops a little whatever little insecurity into the is. middle of it and then it sets the whole thing in train for the woman and it's her head is full of that then for the day so she doesn't enjoy herself no absolutely never and it can be done so subtly and so passively nobody if you sees like. it nobody yeah. sees it yeah. and worse than that if she told her best friend let's say oh, for Christ's sake Mary cop yourself on yeah oh yeah yeah sure he's lovely look at him he's yeah. chatting away to everyone he's, yeah. he's great crack yeah yeah it doesn't matter where the woman starts from. It doesn't matter how she begins the conversation. When it's all over, be it an hour or a fortnight, she will sit down sometime and say to herself, how did we get here? Yeah. How did it end up that I'm wrong and he's right? Yeah. And that happens day in, day out. And she won't be able to explain it. No, no, she no. doesn't know how it does. She, uh, doesn't she know how it happens, but she knows the feeling. Yeah. I keep saying, like some of the people that I work with say, well, you know, a poor woman who has been hammered and physically assaulted regularly or raped every night. Uh, like she has a different experience than me. And I keep saying the impact on the woman is exactly the same. She becomes a non-person. She's sitting at home with no faith in herself, no belief in her own rights. And when I say it to her, Mary, it's time for you to put yourself first, she doesn't know how to do it. Yeah. Because she has lost herself. She's no longer Mary. She's a, a non-human who just an object in this person's life. Yeah. And that's so sad because a lot of the women believe that it's their own fault for ending up in that position, that they should have seen it coming the day they met him. Yeah. And they blame themselves for being in the relationship, from being in the trouble. But the, the reality is that he is so clever that she would never have seen it and he would have done the same to some other decent woman if he'd met her. That's it, yeah. We have the two situations there for for the two women, the one with the aggressive, the one with the passive uh, aggressive person. So women or men who are living with these intimate abusers, we hope that this podcast has given you a bit more insight. So if you're sitting at home and you're you're feeling like you know something's wrong, you feel something's wrong, you feel it's all your fault, just know it's not your fault. It's not your fault. There's nothing wrong with you. You're just living in a very unbearable situation. A, a very unbearable and undefinable situation exactly. from where you're living because it nothing adds up that at the end of the day you try to make some sense of it and it doesn't add up. So you can't explain it to anybody. Yeah. You're completely demoralised by being living in this darkness. And one of the things that I find as it goes on is that women lose their memories Losing your identity, losing your memory, losing your support system, mm -hmm. being completely isolated, um, losing your independence. Um, it's a very scary situation to be. I don't know if you'd agree with me on this, Don, but people would say, well, talk to someone, you know, like talk to your mom, talk to your dad, talk to your friend or whatever. But I would probably recommend talking to Women's Aid or one of the domestic violence um, organizations in your area because like you said there you could go and talk to a friend and your friend would be like oh what's she on about sure your fella is lovely I've met him so many times he's great crack he's everything you know so they mightn't know what you're talking about no, you, you certainly have to talk to somebody who hasn't met him because anybody has who has met him has already been groomed by him to believe that you are the problem 
Yeah. That you, if there's a difficulty in the marriage or the relationship, it's something to do with you. And he will tell your mother that, your sisters that. And he's very polished, usually out in the outside world. He's well able yeah. to groom the rest of the people yeah. that you know. One of the things that really surprised me one time, I was doing a training up in a place called Bell Mullet, and there were a number of women in the room who said they hadn't been abused, and we were just chatting about it and trying to uh, draw it out a little bit. And I discovered that one of the ladies who attended for the training was a hairdresser. Okay. And she says, the stuff I hear in my salon, Don, she said, it's only now that I hear you talking, I'm beginning to recognize what I've missed so often for my own clients. Yeah. So women will only tell you a, a small, small piece of what's happening in the hope that you will say, oh, tell me more, Mary. Yeah. And instead of that, like the rest of us, we just dismiss it and say, for God's sake. Gloss over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, yeah. So we'd urge anyone out there who is feeling any bit worried. Bring Women's Aid. Women's Aid is um, completely confidential. You don't have to give your name, you know, um, your area. They don't need to know anything about you, but you can have a chat with someone there and you can find out. I I think by the end of the podcast, I'll be putting my own phone number on it or my own. Oh, yeah, text, we have social right? media. Yeah, yes. Yeah, so, so I can be contacted over the phone without being able to identify the person or anything. That's I amazing, Dan. To make Thank a diagnosis you. and say, yeah, that's you're OK or that will sort itself out or you are in an abusive relationship and we take it from there. We have an email address in info at steps to freedom.ie. We have an Instagram account at steps to freedom.ie. We can be contacted through there um, and we'll put your phone number up as well, Don, for people to contact you directly. Sure. Um, so we really want people to get in contact. If you have any questions that you'd like Don to answer um, on air, if you want to send them in to us, um, we might answer some of them in the, the normal podcast, but we might do a special podcast dedicated to, to questions and answers as well. Okay. So I would encourage every woman or every man who thinks they're being dominated and controlled in the relationship to see if they are prepared to make one small change in their lives. Okay. If that is only to change the routine as to how they behave at work or how they travel to and from work and to see if they can make that decision without including his voice in the process. Okay. If they can say to themselves, I am never going down that road again, I'll go down another road. And if they can do that without saying, oh, geez, if he finds that out, he'll be very cross. Okay. Right? Yeah. So if you can make a decision without including him in your thinking, you may not be in an abusive situation. Okay. But if he clouds and invades every idea that you have, then it's time to... Time to get help. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So we'll wrap it up for there Thank today, you, Dan. Thank you very much for all your insight. Um. We'll be back again soon. Um, like I said there, please send us in any questions you might have. Info at steps to freedom.ie. We're also on Instagram um, at steps to freedom.ie. So you can send us messages there. And Don will put his number up on um, our podcast page as well. So thanks very much, Dan. Thank you. See you soon again, Sharon. See you soon. Okay.